Alright, and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and determines our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and today's special bonus episode brings us to the present. That's right, for the first time we're going to be reviewing two current shows, and what better two shows to start with than this past week's WWE NXT TakeOver Brooklyn Part 2 and SummerSlam 2016, both originating from Brooklyn's Barclays Center. Trivia fact for today's show, this will be the second episode of the podcast that features in a building that I have been in personally live. I went and saw the Brooklyn Nets several times when I was in America back in 2014. Loved the venue, even had coffee in the Starbucks, joined on it a few times. And before we get started on the show, just a bit of housekeeping. Um, this week's episode was supposed to be episode 10, WrestleMania 10 up against Spring Stampede. I began recording it earlier in the week and for whatever reason it just it wasn't sounding right and I wasn't quite feeling it. There was a lot of background noise. So I've scrapped that for the time being, jumped into NXT and SummerSlam, which took up all my spare time this week, and I'm going to be reviewing this one before getting back to WrestleMania 10 and Spring Stampede, hopefully this weekend. I won't be doing a lay of the land for this week's show, because unless you've been living under a rock, you know that NXT and SummerSlam both came from Brooklyn, and you should have a pretty reasonable idea as to what's going on in the world of wrestling if you're listening to this show. Needless to say, both events came from the same building, and WWE were never going to announce TakeOver as having more fans than SummerSlam, so I won't bother going into the recap there either. Let's just get straight into the show. Hello, Hello Brooklyn! opens up with a recap video um, asking a lot of the current stars on this show where they were a year ago, with the theme being that many of them weren't around at the first takeover of Brooklyn or were not yet established stars on the show. From there, Corey Graves and Tom Phillips welcome us to the show and it's time for the first match, No Way Jose up against Austin Aries. I won't recap every little move and bit from the matches because I'm sure most of you have watched these events in the last week, so we'll go for a bit of a quick run-through and focus more on what we liked and didn't like about the match. Um, Opening up, No Way Jose comes out first, and he seems to be really over with the crowd. I know it's a catchy theme and all, but even I was a little bit shocked at that. Um, Austin Aries comes out next, and once again, he's super over as well, probably even a little bit more so than Jose. The match gets off to a pretty hot start, as you would imagine, with two quick wrestlers on NXT on the opening match of the pay-per-view, and we get a really huge Austin Aries chant early on during the chain wrestling. A little bit of a back and forth and a bit of a uh, runaway spot with Austin Aries on his bike early on trying to get away from Jose. Um, Jose does catch up to him and give him a big slap before they begin the chase yet again. When Aries does get into control of the match, he drops a really cool elbow off the second rope to a... Jose, no way Jose sat up, so catches him on the back of the neck. Looked really cool. 
No way Jose powers up um, and no sells some punches a la Hulk Hogan. At the time of watching it, I thought it would be funny to write that he fiestas up. Upon reading my notes, I realise how shit that sounds, so I won't say it. And then strangely, the crowd begin popping for something that appears to be off screen because there's a really loud noise, but you can see they're not actually looking at the ring. I catch out of the corner of my eye a blonde figure coming to ringside, and I assume it's Ric Flair taking a seat because I hear the woos not too long after. Pretty early on in the match here, he's locks on his last chancery submission, but Jose does get to the ropes, and Jose gets a TKO on Austin Aries for a two count. Really cool. But before too long, Aries is back up, and he nails a suicide dive on Jose, but the way he lands on him is almost like a Luthez Prez from outside, uh, inside the ring to out. Looked awesome. Also follows that up with a really cool neck breaker on the apron with Jose hanging between the ropes. Another cool spot. Um, the NXT guys in the last year or so have really begun to use the apron. Uh, the first part of that I remember was the power bomb from Owens on Sami Zayn on the apron. It might not be the first one, but that's the first memorable one that sticks with me. And it's become a bit of a theme ever since. Jose, when he does get back on the offense, he's a really cool suplex into a power bomb. Um, I apologize if there's names to these moves, but they're things that I've either not seen for a long time or not seen at all, and it's really cool to watch. Once uh, Jose gets back on the offense again, he hits a massive clothesline, and what quick-paced match would be complete without a Rikishi sell by Austin Aries? Doesn't last for long, though, and Aries is back in control. Hits a crucifix, um, as in the pinning combination, but spikes him on the mat like a powerbomb, another cool move, and a big corner drop kick, getting him a two count before hitting a sunset flip powerbomb off the top rope, and then follows it up with the last chancery for a second time, and gets a tap-out victory in a really good opener. No way, Jose, uh, defeated by Austin Aries by submission. From there, we begin to book the next big angle for Austin Aries to keep his momentum going as he starts to put the beat down on No Way Jose and Hideo Atami comes out for the save, looking pretty suave in a suit with no socks and loafers, as Austin Aries would later mention on Twitter. And he comes out and takes over control on Aries, and you just hear the crowd go nuts, begging for a GTS. Hideo duly obliges them, hits a big GTS before letting the world know that is his move, and it's the move he invented, which is also back up by the guys on commentary. From there we go backstage and we see a, a quiet shot of Nakamura with Kota Ibushi and Funaki getting ready for his big main event later on. And from there we go into our second match of the night, Billy Kay, uh, the female from Australia, not too far away from me, up against a debuting Ember Moon, who I have to admit I knew nothing about, so I didn't know what I was expecting here. I'm not sure if she's a debuting character or big off the indies or whatnot, so please feel free to fill me in on Twitter. But I was pleasantly surprised when she came out looking straight from the set of Mortal Kombat. Ember Moon shows off her skills as you would expect a debuting wrestler with some cool moves early on, um, a really cool kip up into a head scissor takedown, and when being hip tossed by Billy Kay, flips through it and lands on her feet. Cool stuff. Ember Moon's got some pretty sick looking red contact lenses in, which make her look pretty creepy, um, and she's sort of a, um, a short, muscular high flyer a la Rey Mysterio, but a female, obviously. And in saying that, not too long into the match, he hits a really cool springboard crossbody up that pretty much the same move Rey Mysterio used to use regularly in his matches before getting caught in the Widow Peak submission by Billy Kay. And Billy Kay then dumps her on her face for a two count. It's a pretty high-paced match, and we go into the finishing sequence pretty early as well with a really cool spin kick and a neck breaker um, into a suplex combo. Another interesting move uh, before finishing it with a flipping stunner off the top rope. So Billy Kay's on her feet getting up groggy, and Ember Moon comes off the top, somersaults like a sunset flip, but catches her in a stunner on the way over. Truly amazing move. It looked awesome for the one, two, three. 
the crowd, I don't think, were sure about her either. Um, the reaction was a little bit sort of wait and see, but what you got for a debut was really impressive, so hopefully there's more to come from Ember Moon. And the action's not going to stop there, because next up, we've got Bobby Roode. Glorious! Tired of hearing that. Up against Andre Cien Almas. And of course, just like all of us, and certainly the host of this podcast, the music for Bobby Roode gets a massive pop with the crowd going nuts for Glorious. And if you're going to have music like that, your debut match has to have an amazing entrance, and sure enough, they deliver in spades. Bobby Roode stood up on a massive platform. It's going to be a good sort of 10 to 15 feet in the air with his back to the crowd and a ravishing Rick Rude-style robe with glorious embezzled across the back and the platform slowly descends with Rude having his back to the crowd waiting to make his dramatic entrance. No word of a lie, first match in WWE and this guy is a fucking superstar. He is going to be awesome. The crowd, of course, are all with me as well because early on we get a this is glorious chant and really it is. That is truly the best describing word for what we're seeing here. And you know it's a big match when they can start off with stalling and not really do anything and the crowd heat is through the roof. I think the best example of this is really Hogan and Rock at WrestleMania 18. They did bugger all and the crowd went mental. Well, this was a mini version of that, almost an NXT size version if you like, where they're just sort of stalling and coming to lock up and not locking up and the crowd's going nuts. Of course, this is NXT, the um, darling wrestling promotion of anyone that likes hot action, so the stalling doesn't last for long and we go to breakneck speed pretty quickly. The match moves at a pretty quick pace and CM Malmas manages to do a lot of nice, neat little avoidings of moves uh, with Bobby Roode on the offense. But Bobby Roode does eventually get a hold of him and nails a really lovely delayed vertical suplex. If you've listened to the previous nine episodes of this podcast, you know I'm a sucker for a good delayed vertical. Sien comes back with a drop kick off the ropes and then hits, sorry, with Rude coming off the ropes, he hits a drop kick and then Rude goes to the outside and he hits a lovely springboard corkscrew plancher um, into a crossbody. Really nice move. Back in the ring, he hits a Rey Mysterio-esque wheelbarrow bulldog before Rude gets back on the offense with a massive clothesline. Rude takes him up top and looks for a top rope German suplex. No way in the world was this ever going to happen, but a cool tease. Um, CM Almas manages to flip out of the suplex before hitting a suplex of his own, which I think they call a jagged suplex. It's a German suplex, but instead of being around the waist, you've got the arms locked in there as well. Pretty cool. That garnered a two count. Uh, he goes for a lion soul, but Rude rolls out of the way, but instead of just landing on his feet or his stomach, he lands on his feet and flips again, but Rude again has it scouted and gets the knees up. They go from here into a favourite spot of mine, something I call the Boo Yes Forearms. I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about, where the guys trade forearms and the crowd make it clear which one of the two they want to win. Typically, this happens in a John Cena match where everyone wants to boo John Cena. Of course, true to form as well, the heel's far more popular here with Bobby Roode is over like Rover. This takes us sort of towards our finishing sequence here, though, as Roode catches a nice spine buster and then hits a pump handle slam a la the road dog, not the one where they turn it into a power slam like Test, which is called the Glorious Bomb, and he gets a 1-2-3. The right man went over here. CML Mass is exciting but I still think he's got to get a little bit more of a hard edge to him if he's going to get really over. Bobby Roode on the other hand needs to be going towards the top of NXT pretty quickly. We then get a weird uh, viral video package for Sanity. I'm not sure who or what that's going to be and we get a good video package about the tag team title match. Um, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa up against the Revival. Once that match gets underway Gargano and Ciampa are pretty over with the crowd here as well as you would expect. Um, 
Champer and Dawson start off. They've got some good chain wrestling going on early on before Johnny Gargano gets tagged in, and we get a huge Johnny wrestling ten chant, even. They sort of exchange who's in and out of the ring pretty quickly here. I won't try and go through every tag before all four get in for a brawl. And Dawson saves Dash from a finishing move, the um, the running kick and knee from the two at the same time. Fortunately, the Revival end up outside the ring, and one of them gets hit with a suicide dive from Johnny Gargano, and the other one gets hit with a flying knee off the apron from Tommaso Ciampa, another couple of cool spots. When it does get back into the ring, though, the Revival do what they do best, and they cut the ring off and they get a hold of Ciampa. And they also do something else they're renowned for at this point, some really interesting ways of breaking up the tags. Um, they did this quite a bit against American Alpha at the last couple of takeover events. It does look, it makes the match really interesting. It gets a crowd super hot waiting for that tag. Also, another one of the teasers they do is um, managing to distract on the hot tag, which is a really old-school heel tag team move, which, again, garners huge heat and it makes for a good story here as well. And they get a long two-count off sort of a modified demolition device um, with the elbow off the second rope onto the backbreaker. We do end up getting the hot tag, though, and they, the sorry, the faces get back on offense pretty quickly with some fast-paced action. I know he hits an awesome overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex on one of the Revival, followed by his roll-up kick on the other member before hitting a neck-breaker for a two-count. Um, ends up on the outside coming back into the ring with the spear for another two-count, and the crowd are going nuts for the This Is Awesome champ. Teams begin to trade near falls there where Dash hits a DDT on Gargano for a two-count before getting rolled up himself for a two-count. And Chomper comes back in with the armbar, but Dash makes the save. Gargano hits a spear on one of the Revival, and Tommaso Chomper gets a small package for a two-count on the other, and an NXT champ breaks out as we're going towards the false finishes here, towards the home stretch of the match. We get our second bout of Booyes forearms for the night. This will be a theme over the weekend where people aren't watching the matches before repeating spots. Um, in a match like this, you can get away with it, but some of the ones we'll see at SummerSlam, maybe not so much. The faces block the Shadow Machine um, with a huge counter and get a big two count really close to the finish before they hit their own finishing move, the kick and the knee. Um, and they get the one, two, three, but the other member of the Revival on the outside has put his foot on the ropes. The referee counted the three before realising his mistake and did not call for the bell. And the crowd are rabid at this point. They are really into this. Revival do what they do best, so and they find a way to get between the faces. And they throw Tommaso Ciampa into the ring post on the outside. And Dash hits a chop block on Gargano before to huge boos uh, before putting on the reverse figure four and getting Johnny Gargano to tap out for the submission victory. I've really struggled with the names in this one, but you all know who I'm talking about, thankfully. Um, this was a classic I, I wrote down. This is an awesome tag match. Um, I really like Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Their match at the Cruiserweight Classic has been my favourite so far, and I've enjoyed all this stuff coming into NXT, um, but by no means did I think these guys were going to live up to the American Alpha matches with the Revival, but this was just as good. Um, was really hot for a change of change of title here, so with the crowd, and the Revival managed to keep the belts and stay mega over his heels, it was really awesome, I sure hope they do round two of this, maybe even a title switch leading to a third and deciding match, I'm guessing the crowd want that too, because they leave um, DIY, which I forgot to mention was what they were calling uh, the faces, they give them a huge standing ovation after the match, I think everybody that watches NXT was waiting for a heel turn by one of them in the end, but it never came, they hugged and walk out together, thankfully.
We then go into a video package for Bailey and Asuka because this is an NXT pay-per-view and we're not going to stop with the awesomeness. And it's time for the women's title match. Bailey getting her return match up against Asuka. Makes her entrance with the wacky, invadable fun men, um, which always makes my daughter pop in the lounge room when she's around when Bailey's on. And then we get Asuka coming out with a weird entrance attached to the world's largest sheet of baking paper. The crowd seemed pretty split here early on, but they're both super over. There's just constant noise in the building, which is always a sign that you're doing something right with your booking. I say in my notes early on that I really wanted Bailey to get the win here because I wanted a third round of this match. Um, really enjoyed Bailey's work, but Asuka is awesome. Um, I just wish they had some decent heels to line her up against because she seems to have come in at the back end of all the best women in NXT, and I think she could be the best of the punch if given some decent opponents. We get some good chain wrestling early on um, before a test of strength, which is a bit of a throwback spot there but it seemed to work and then Asuka hits a huge knee off a Bailey jump and she takes control early on as well gets some really cool kicks in uh, before Bailey fires back and does get back in with some elbows and a knee for a two count Asuka goes for the hip attack where Bailey on the outside misses and gets caught in the ropes and then Bailey just pounds the shit out of the back of her head really gets stuck in here comes back into the ring hits a crossbody block for a two count before Asuka hits a shining wizard for a two count of her own the commentary is really helping this get over as well. I, I always say watching the NXT shows that the commentary is so much better in NXT and it shows here. And they just go back and forth trading big shots, big boots, knees, etc. Really getting stuck in before Asuka locks on an ankle lock. Uh, Bailey does get out but then Asuka unloads with some huge kicks yet again. Uh, before Bailey hits a backside off off sort of a block of some of the strikes and gets a two count and then Bailey hits a dominator um, that was Farouk's finisher and he never hit it himself gets another two count Asuka gets back up and gets the Asuka lock on and the crowd are going absolutely mental Bailey powers out and hits a Bailey to belly which again sends the crowd into rapture but Asuka gets the Asuka lock back on Bailey rolls through it a la Bret Hart and Roddy Piper at Wrestlemania 8 for a two count uh, before a huge kick from Asuka knocks Bailey down for the 1-2-3 in a pretty decent match yet again um, Bailey's not had a bad match on pay-per-view so far for my money after the match, Bailey gets a really good ovation, and it does seem like it's her last time out in NXT, so keep your eyes peeled and see if she shows up on the main roster this week. I certainly know that SmackDown um, are going to need, be needing some more contenders if they do bring a title along, so who knows. Uh, but with Sasha Banks also rumoured to be injured, you never know, she could end up on Raw. But without any further ado, it's time for our main event. Uh, so we go to the video package of Joe and Nakamura. Before Nakamura comes out to a really cool entrance with a um, solo violinist playing his theme, it was awesome. Really big time feel for this. Joe being the champion comes out next, and surprisingly, he's hugely over as well. Um, Joe's done a really good job since turning heel in NXT. Um, the crowd was super pumped for him coming in, and I thought there was going to be an awesome feud between he and Kevin Owens before KO got called up. And there, Joe really had to turn heel with um, Finn Balor, really sort of ruling the roost on NXT at the time. And he's done an awesome job since. Uh, it's good to see the crowd give him his pops, but it's something you don't see very often with how well he's doing the heel role. When the two do lock up, the crowd's still singing Nakamura's song, which is something I always enjoy. It makes for an interesting start to the match. And they go into really stiff kicks and slaps early on, and they start rolling around and grappling a la MMA, making this a, a really sort of gritty, realistic contest. Nakamura gets on the offense early with some good knees and then hits the good vibrations in the corner before they go to the outside for some outside brawling and Joe hits the Enziguri. Nakamura fires back though with the Pele kick before hitting the big apron on the knee and then when he goes to do the jumping knee on 
sort of from the apron to Joe lay down. Joe gets out the way and hits him with a suicide dive before going into control, locking on a bit of a dragon sleeper, hitting a cool looking leg sweep and then hitting a power bomb before going into sort of a modified Boston Crab, which transitions into an SDF and then he transitions into a cross face, really playing up his submission expertise here. Once Nakamura gets out of that, he fires back with a good spin kick and a cool running knee before he hits some corner knees as well. Joe fires back with an inverted atomic drop, a move you don't see too often anymore, and a huge big boot. Nakamura gets back on the offense and hits some really sick looking knees to the top of Joe's head. Um, really nasty looking stuff. Joe comes back with these sort of slam out the corner, but it's a little bit botched, not quite perfect. Nakamura comes back again at him with a jumping kick off the ropes before they start exchanging huge strikes, um, the biggest of which comes with a huge clothesline by Joe. When he goes for a second one, Nakamura grabs the arm though, puts him into an armbar. Joe gets Nakamura in a triangle choke um, and then into a cloverleaf, but Nakamura gets a hold of the ropes. Joe fires back with a massive knee to the head before cutting on his cohe. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Putting on his clutch. Doesn't last long though as Nakamura gets back up and folds Joe in half with a sick German suplex. And again, Nakamura doesn't stay in control for long as Joe fires back with a power slam for a two count and a muscle buster for a really long two count. Nakamura gets back up though and hits a Kinshasa for a two count of his own, so they've both kicked out of each other's finishes at this point before climbing up to the ropes, hitting Joe with a nasty knee to the back of the head. This has been a theme in this match with the cool strikes. And a second Kinshasa for a three count. And a new NXT champion, Shinsei Nakamura. I can't say if I'm surprised or not that he won the title here. I, I sort of expected Nakamura was going to get the belt at some point, but I thought maybe they might hold off giving it to him to the on the second show. But then I realized Bailey wasn't getting the title and DIY weren't getting the tag titles. I sort of had a feeling Nakamura might get the belt here. Either way, I wasn't sure, and it was in a really awesome match. Um, I hope these two go at it again. It's really stiff. I'm sure they were both in pain the next day, but it's awesome to watch. And this caps off. Top to bottom, a pretty awesome show. Can't say there was a bad match on the card. Um, and the clocking in at just over two hours, it was paced really well um, and didn't take up too much of the time. Pretty easy to sit through. So SummerSlam's got some stiff competition. Without any further ado, let's head over that way. Yeah, this album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I never amount to nothing. To all the people that lived above the buildings that I was hustling from that called the police on me when I was just trying to make some money to feed my daughter. Yeah, yeah. And to all my peoples in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Shake it, shake it. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The hard, the hard. You never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight cause I rhyme tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Ron G, Brucey e. B, Kick Capri. Funk Master Flex, Love Bug Star Ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call a crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know, you know.
over to SummerSlam 2016, also coming from the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn. We start with our opening video package, and the only note I take from that is did Michael Cole actually just say, welcome to Viperville, this is going to be a long one. Thankfully, they open us up with a good match to start with, which is Enzo and Big Cass up against Jerry K.O., Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens. And Enzo and Cass make their usual awesome entrance, um, quoting some New York legends of music, Frank Sinatra, Biggie Smalls that you just heard there, and Jay-Z in a really cool opening. And again, the sneak ahead in me notices that Enzo is rocking the Derek Jeter Jordan 1s this week. Very cool. As Jericho and Owens are coming out to the ring, I realise at this point that I didn't actually know this match was on the card. Um, I was quite surprised when their entrance hit and they came out. Um, that's probably a pretty bad indictment on what I think of current wrestling at the moment, unfortunately. But I am excited to see it nonetheless. We get Jericho and Enzo in there early. Um, Enzo fights back from being dominated by the heels, which is a pretty popular way of most of the Enzo and Cass matches going. Um, he hits a really weak looking sort of stunner into a knee uh, before getting Cass in the takeover control. Michael Cole tells us that Enzo, with his unique haircut, um, Michael Cole, you're such a nerd. Please don't ruin Enzo and Big Cass. They're super over. Cass is in control, hitting some body slams on Kevin Owens before slamming Enzo Amore onto Kevin Owens in a cool spot. He then lines up to throw Enzo on top of one of the heels, but they both bail to the outside. So Enzo bounces off the ropes and Cass tosses him over the top in a sick-looking spot to nail both the heels. Um, commentary here is improving. I know it's Michael Cole and Byron Saxton, but Corey Graves adds a really cool heel dynamic to the booth, um, something that hasn't been seen for about 15 years, in my opinion. Jerry Lawler used to be good at it before he got too old to do his job properly, and JBL's okay, but he doesn't add the same dynamic that Graves does here. Back in the ring, Jericho hits a decent knee off the second rope before putting on a chin lock and telling the referee loudly to ask him, ask him, which is really cool, and hits a drop kick for a two count as well. He taunts Cass while he's in control of Enzo, and then Kevin Owens comes in and hits a cool gut buster and a senton for a two count before doing a double run up the ropes like something big was coming and dropping down for a chin lock. Owens loves being a bad guy. Enzo fights back and in going for the hot tag actually dives through the air and Jericho cuts him off, sort of hips him out the way of the tag in a really cool spot before getting Owens back in there for a frog splash for a two count. When they're replaying the frog splash, it, a real pet peeve of mine that's come up at the moment. I don't know what you guys think of it, but I can't stand the replays they're using at the moment. You know the one where they show the move in slow motion till right before the point of impact and they speed it up? It annoys the shit out of me. Just show a replay or a slow-mo replay. You can't have it both ways. I know why they do it, because, you know, in a big impact move, if it doesn't hit the spot, they don't want to show it in slow-mo. But don't put the start of it in slow-mo, then it's just stupid. Anyway, I digress and I'll leave the rant there. Getting back to the map. Match. And Enzo does eventually get the hot tag, and then in comes Cass with some huge big boots and one to a flying Jericho. They go for a move, and I hear Cole utter the phrase, Are they looking for the butter boom shakalaka? And I just think it's too late for these boys. They either should go smack down NXT or just retire now because Cole will ruin them this month. Enzo comes off the top rope and lands a DDT onto a standing Jericho, which they call the DDG. Again, they're ruining something quite cool. Uh, this is turning into Hip Hop John Cena point two or Crime Time point two. Finishing sequence comes in a really awesome move. Enzo's coming off the ropes into the pop-up powerbomb on Owens, but as he goes over the top of Owens, Jericho catches him in midair with a devastating-looking code breaker. Looks like he broke his jaw for the three count there. Um, and then... Jericho and Kevin Owens get some massive heel heat by telling each other at ringside how much they love each other and walking up the ramp mid-embrace. Cool stuff. 
Backstage, John Stewart is with the GMs um, and the commissioners, I guess you're calling them, and also the New Day in a decent promo, not too bad. Second match of the night takes us to Sasha Banks up against Charlotte. Um, Sasha's in, she's the baby face, and they are loving her. Um, she's massively over. They get off to a really flying start with a good slap and a runner before Sasha locks on the bank statement really early. Um, but Charlotte rolls her up for a two count and Sasha goes uh, reverses the figure four when Charlotte attempts to lock that on and gets a two count of her own. They're really going at it really quickly and I struggle to keep up with the notes, but it is good. Um, I'm worried here early on though that they're going at such a breakneck pace and they might, might not have much time, so hopefully not. Those worries are doubled and tripled pretty quickly as well when Charlotte gets Sasha up on the ropes, lay across the ropes and gets up on the second and lifts her in almost like a sidewalk slam backbreaker type position and just fucking drops her. She nearly kills her. It looks like she went to ju jump off the ropes with her in a sidewalk and couldn't hold her so she just let it go and Sasha bounces off the ropes and lands head first and folds up into a ball. Um, that was really dangerous and I hope someone had words to Charlotte after that because she could have ended her career in that spot. From there, there's only really one logical way to go with the match, and that's Charlotte in control and Sasha trying to best to fight back. So, Sasha gets caught by Charlotte in almost like a rock-bottom position, which she hits it into a knee for a backbreaker, and then just folds her up on the mat as well. Really devastating offense here from Charlotte. Charlotte then rolls to a runner from the top from Sasha and locks in the figure eight, or attempts to, but Sasha does fight out. Charlotte takes it back up top for a super razor's edge and Sasha blocks it or rolls through it rather with a hurricane rana from the ropes in an other awesome looking spot. These guys are pulling out all the stops here. And as I talked about earlier in the show, the weekend's not complete without some more Bouillier forearms. At least the heel and face are getting the right reactions this time around. They get back up on the ropes again and Sasha locks in a Boston Crab on the ropes. Really cool looking move there. Um, before getting some knees, um, that famous move she does where she gets them on the ropes and comes down from the ropes with the knees to the back or the gut. Awesome. And the crowd say as much as well. They're giving the this is awesome chant. Charlotte does a variation of a dad's flipping corner spot before taking out Sasha's leg but pretty quickly ends up on the outside where Sasha comes off the apron with the knees into a sort of a very high Thez press on the floor, another cool spot. Back in the ring, we get a two count for Sasha off a cradle uh, before, Charlotte, before she rolls through the natural selection to a cross face. Uh, Charlotte doesn't last in that very long though and does hit the natural selection for a two count. Charlotte goes for a tilt-a-whirl, but uh, Sasha blocks it and gets in the cross face. But Charlotte gets her arm between her legs, rolls her over, and holds her down for the three count to huge heel heat from the crowd. But this was a great match. This is, as far as main roster goes, this is possibly the best women's match I've seen in WWE ever. Um, Trish and Lita had some good stuff um, back in the day, but nothing on par with this. These guys don't just do moves that I've never seen women do. They do moves that I've never seen, period, and it's awesome to watch. A little bit scary at times, but they've got awesome chemistry. From there, we go backstage and we see the club and AJ Styles joking about beating up John Cena and the New Day and other things, and out walks Finn Balor. Uh, they offer him some love, throwing up the click sign. Finn smiles and walks off. And then we go into our Intercontinental title match, which is The Miz defending up against Apollo Crews, or Apollo Creed if you Daniel Bryan. And we start the match with Miz on the offense early, and he hits his cool DDT with Apollo Crews on his knees uh, straight to the mat for a two count. Miz comes off the top rope with a jumping nothing before being hit with a drop kick by Apollo Crews for a good spot. 
And then David Otunga says something very strange on commentary. He says that Apollo Crews is jacked and he's an acrobat, therefore he's a jackrobat. I'm scratching my head and it goes by for a couple of seconds before the other commentators come back to that line and rip him a little bit, rightfully so. Crews hits an end to Guri and there's really no crowd response here. Uh, they've seen two awesome matches to start the show. There was also two hours of pre-show, which I didn't bother to watch, and there's a lot more still to come on this night, so they're saving their breath here a little bit. Cruz also hits a cool running power slam for a two count. Catches the Miz in sort of when the Miz coming to attack him with an avalanche. Hits a big belly to belly and his cool standing moonsault for a two count as well. Um, rolls through the skull crushing finale for a two count before getting hit the skull crushing finale for a three in a pretty late match if I'm being honest there was no crowd heat and these guys didn't seem to click. Um, Apollo is one of them guys that I think they really need to let loose a little bit if they're not going to put him in an awesome storyline. Um, otherwise, he's just bland, big guy with a couple of good moves. Either let him go or let him at least get into a story that he can sink his teeth into. From there, we go into a video package for AJ Styles against John Cena. And I'm just praying as I watch this package that they do the right thing and let AJ go over Cena clean. At this stage, AJ's beat him in the first match with help from the club. Cena's beat him in the tag match on the second pay-per-view. And this is really round three as far as this rivalry goes. And a win here could do wonders for AJ and make another big guy, which is with the brand split what they need. AJ comes out to a pretty big pop, and then as his music stops, before John Cena's is even hit, the crowd are booing ferociously. They do not want Cena to win. I'm not sure if they even want him to turn up. Cena's song does hit, though, and we get the huge John Cena sucks to go along with it. Uh, the crowd are rabid before the bell's even gone. They start the match with sort of headlock spot, headlock spot. And a criticism I've heard leveled at John Cena a lot is how loud he is with calling spots. I'm one of them people that when I watch wrestling, I can pretty well suspend my disbelief. I can only ever remember hearing one spot in wrestling. And if you've been watching for a long time, you might remember it. It was at the, I think, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre where Ken Shamrock and Ryan Shamrock were on the outside. And, Ryan, and Ken walked up to Ryan and just loudly within range of the camera said, slap me before she duly slapped him. It was awful. But um, the point I'm trying to make here is early on in the match, John Cena's talking really loud, and even I notice it. And I never notice that stuff, so I can see why people give him stick for an hour. AJ gets a cool leapfrog into a drop kick early on before taking the Bret Hart corner bump, which was cool. Uh, and we get a vertical suplex on the apron. Ouch, really nasty. Um, Styles folded Cena up with that one. Um, the apron spots are becoming a little bit too common for my liking now, though. I think really one a show should be the limit. Um, but this one was certainly a good one, at least. Back in the ring, and Cena throws AJ up with a massive back body drop. He's in the lights before coming down. Uh, only gets a one count, though. Cena then hits a bit of an awkward-looking drop kick. Still cool. Snap suplex uh, before AJ Styles unloads with some awesome strikes in combination. Cena goes into his usual moves of doom offense with the shoulders um, before picking him up with sort of that almost like the blue thunder bomb, but not quite, and the five-knuckle shuffle to massive crowd heat. They hate him. Cena then goes for the AA, which AJ Styles flips through in a cool spot and nails him with a Pele kick before hitting the Styles clash for a two-count. Um, I'm not huge on the kicking out of finishes, um, but at least this was done early before Cena had taken much offense. I just hope it's not the start of the Super Cena here. Thankfully, though, he does return the favor and hits an AA on AJ, who kicks out for it at two. 
cool again to see this. AJ then hits a really cool move, putting Cena up in a torture rack before spinning him out into a powerbomb type move for a two count. Before Cena hits a bit of a strange sort of slam into almost a diamond cutter for a two count of his own. AJ puts Cena up for an AA, but on the way down, puts a knee into the back of the neck in a really cool spot. Um, didn't see it the first time around. I actually caught it on the replay. Goes to the outside and hits a springboard for 50, but Cena's not there, so he lands hard on the mat. And then hits a German suplex, which he rolls through like he's going to go for another, but plants Cena down face first with a face buster for a two count. Get a bit of a submission attempt here um, when Cena goes to lock in the SDF, which is reversed into a crossface, but neither of them get the tap out. And AJ manages to roll into a calf crusher, crusher sorry, on Cena, but again doesn't get the tap out. When they get back out, AJ nails an enziguri, and then Cena hits a DDT for a two count, and he's sort of off the ropes famous for a two count as well. AJ fights back with a runner off the top and the phenomenal forearm for a big two count. The crowd are finally biting on the near falls here. Um, they thought Styles was going to get it with that one, but no big booze when Cena kicks out. Cena then nails him with a clothesline before going up to the ropes for a super AA. And this is where I think that's it. It's done. He's hitting with the big move. Cena again. And AJ kicks out at two. No shenanigans, no mucking about. And I bit huge. I just about a minute before this wrote how the crowd were biting on the near falls and then I literally was out of my seat when he kicked out of that the crowd as well huge yes chant for that kick out um Cena sells that he's stunned and he's not the only one we all are he sort of sits there for a bit wide-eyed and this is some really good storytelling Cena's like I finally got him where I wanted him and he's still not gone down it's awesome Anyway, Cena does eventually come back to his senses and he goes for another AA, but AJ escapes, hits a Styles Clash, does not go for the pin, goes outside for the phenomenal forearm, and clean as a whistle gets a 1-2-3. Wow, holy shit. There is not enough good I can say about this match. Um, massive hand to John Cena there. He's made AJ Styles an absolute superstar. I'm not saying AJ needed making. He's clearly a superstar. He's destined for greatness. He's been awesome wherever he's been but John Cena just gave him his WWE main event ticket there in one go. That was amazing. And I guess I'm going to say here, for, for my money, feel free to disagree, probably better than anything I saw on NXT. So, you know, we'll get to match quality in the wrap-up, as we always do, but that was phenomenal. Uh, in a not-so-phenomenal piece of news, uh, we hear that they're going to go to 19 pay-per-views a year with um, the traditional 12 and I think 7 new ones added that are going to be brand split, so one or the other. Uh, not too excited about that. Um, I don't watch Raw and SmackDown most weeks unless I know something good's happened. I do catch the pay-per-views, but adding an extra 7 in is going to be a hard sell for me. From there, we go to the uh, New Day up against the club, and John Stewart comes out first, doing a bit of a promo before introducing the New Day. The crowd are really restless. They don't give him any respect whatsoever. And it's um, Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston in this one because they had injured Big P on Big P, Big E on the ring post not too long back, um, which they let us know all about. We get a decent start with Kofi and Carl Anderson in there. Kofi flips out of a monkey flip, which was cool. Um, before hitting a cool kick and a bulldog before getting Xavier Woods in there. Um, but Gallows comes in pretty quickly and takes over. Uh, Kofi Kingston does an awesome dive over the top onto the bad guys um, where he gets in midair and sort of puts his hand on his chin and poses on the way over. Really cool. We get sort of ins and outs with the tags, and I struggle to keep up a little bit because it's good high-paced. High um, Xavier and Carl uh, Anderson end up in there, and it speeds up pretty quickly. Before um, Woods hits an awesome top rope elbow for a two count, 
Unfortunately, he gets nailed with a pump kick and then the magic killer before John Stewart gets in to make the save. Um, the club get a hold of him and it goes for way too long before Big E comes out to make the save and gets his teammates disqualified in a really lame ending. Um, this was a huge letdown after the last match and the whole John Stewart thing was awkward. Big E wasn't there, but then he was there. None of it really made any sense and it just, these are some guys that are, you know, in the club can really go, but again, haven't been given anything to sink their teeth into. And New Day have been super over. I have a fear they may have jumped the shark here, but we'll see. Um, and unfortunately for the guys involved and how disappointing this is, this gets them, their, them onto our hammerlock scale. Um, and it's not the worst match you'll ever see. Certainly nothing compared to some of the other stuff I've reviewed, but just for the disappointment level alone, they get a two out of 10 on the hammerlock scale. From here, we go to our WWE title match, Dean Ambrose defending against Dolph Ziggler, who had won the six-pack challenge, I believe, on the first SmackDown Live to get the title shot. And before the bell can get underway or the introduction, Shane and Daniel Bryan have got to hold them apart. When the action does get going, we have some slaps early on, and Dolph Ziggler's taking every chance he can to go for pins before they head outside for an outside brawl early. Um, and they're in and out quite a bit. Um, Ambrose hits an underhook suplex off the top rope, which is cool, but the crowd are really dead. Um, he locks on a half crab, and they're sort of in and out of moves. It's a little bit clunky. There's no real rhyme or reason to it, and they're just a bit off on the timing. Um, and in a weird spot, Ambrose is sort of acting a little bit heelish and then goes and shakes the referee's hand. Just strange. It's not making much sense to me at this point. Um, we have a drop kick from Ziggler to Ambrose, who's coming off the ropes. Another repeated spot. There's been a lot of this across the shows. Um, this is probably the third time we've seen this over the two shows now. Ambrose lifts Ziggler up for a dragon suplex, but plants him face first for a two count in a good move, and then starts tuning up the band, a la Shawn Michaels or Dolph Ziggler, uh, to huge boos. I'm not sure, is Ambrose trying to turn heel or what? Uh, Dolph does land his big DDT for a two count, though, uh, before Dean Ambrose gets a really horrible looking roll up for a two count. Ziggler comes back with a famous for a two count, and there's no pop. They don't bite on the near fall whatsoever, um, and then they hit that sort of diving collision where they almost both go for a crossbody. Um, Ambrose hits a bulldog in his cool top rope elbow while Ziggler's getting up for a two, uh, but then they end up in a sleeper hold, and this is a really dull match. Um, the match spills to the outside pretty quickly, and Ziggler hits a super kick, which Ambrose awkwardly sells. He takes it on the chin, then a couple of seconds later jumps to go over the barricade and doesn't make it either. It just didn't look good at all. Back in the ring and Ziggler hits a zigzag for a two count, but again, still not really much of a pop. Um, before slapping Ambrose, who sort of has to force himself to sell the bounce off the second rope for his clothesline, um, goes for a dirty deeds off the top rope, which is reversed, but not in a good way. And it's just, this is really disappointing. Ambrose does finish it off with the dirty deeds and it's just there was no heel face dynamic really or if there was it wasn't the way it really should have been there was no crowd heat um, this wasn't as bad as the match before because at least this was an out and out match rather than an angle with Jon Stewart but it certainly has you know it slowed the show down quite a bit after that phenomenal Styles and Cena match.
We then go into the SmackDown Women's Six uh, Man Tag Match. I don't know if you can call it that, or Six Woman Tag Match, which is Naomi, who's out first with a really cool entrance. Her outfit's all glow-in-the-dark in different colours. Uh, first time I've seen that. Then Carmella's coming out, rocking the Jordan 10s, and Becky Lynch coming out, who I feel a little bit sorry for at the moment. Um, I think we all felt sorry for Bailey when the other three got called up to the main roster. Um, but now, since hearing that Bailey's going to be heading over to Raw, Becky Lynch is left over over on SmackDown while the other three of her best opponents are on Raw together. Heels come out, it's Natalia and then Alexa Bliss, and then we get a the video for Eva Marie and a voiceover saying that she's suffering from stress so she won't be here. She's having a well-earned rest and Nikki Bella makes her return to join the heels. Alexa and Becky start off in the ring and we get a really cool um, Alexa going for a leapfrog but Becky picking a leg and taking it down with a single leg out of the air which was cool uh, before we get a tag to Naomi and Natalia um, and Naomi takes over with some pretty decent offense, um, a weird sort of head scissor into a mule kick in the corner and then hitting a leg drop but by doing the splits for a two count she tags in Carmella who hits a decent head scissors before the heels take over control, uh, Nikki comes in and hits a spine buster. Alexa Bliss comes in and hits some knees and sort of a moonsault as well. Before Carmella escapes and hits what I wrote down as the warm tag to Becky, the crowd were okay, but still really struggling here. Um, and we just get a long sort of beat down segment. Becky gives kicks to all of them. Uh, Natalia gets a roll up for a two. Um, Becky fires back with an enziguri and a top rope leg drop, but Nikki makes a save. Um, Naomi comes in and hits some really cool kicks where she's just bouncing from one leg to the other, uh, but she misses a split leg and moonsault. Carmella hits a super kick to Nikki, but the crowd's still really not getting anything into here. We end up with all of them in, and Nikki hits a big forearm on Carmella and nails it with a TKO for the three count. An okay women's match, um, certainly not on par with the other one, but considering the women involved, they've all improved. So, you know, fair play to the women for really trying to bring their game up here. From there, we go into a video package for Roman Reigns and Rusev later on, and I just ponder, is there anything in wrestling that's ever been worse than the slogan, the Roman Empire? Um, guys, just stop trying to force it, please. Match isn't up next, so we do actually have Finn Balor and Seth Rollins for the Universal title and some weird match placement here. They go into a video package for those guys as well, and then Seth makes his entrance before Finn Balor as the Demon King comes out. In another attempt for Michael Cole to ruin something that's cool and organic with wrestling fans, I read an article somewhere that apparently during this match they said Demon King 28 times. Good God, guys, stop trying to make everything a buzzword and a hashtag and just let something be cool. Pretty early on in the match, and Finn goes for the coup de grace but doesn't miss it, but he's really on the offense early and hits a decent-looking plancher um, before Seth hits a suplex on the floor and then nails Finn with the barricade powerbomb. Um, since recording this, obviously I've heard about the injury to Finn Balor, and it turns out it's probably happened during this move here, which is the same way he injured Sting, and I'm really wondering if Seth maybe needs to tone his style down a little bit. You don't want to become known for injuring people, especially top guys, and especially when it's always with the same move. I find it a little bit ironic that they took the curb stomp off him because it seemed too violent, yet one of the moves he's kept is actually legitimately injuring people. I wish they'd make a swap there, and to top it all off, I don't think that looks all that impressive anyway. Seth is obviously in control from here, though. He hits his cool springboard into a knee to the head, which is a, a great spot, and then a frog splash for a two count. Uh, frog splash is something we saw Kevin Owens hit earlier in the night for a two count as well. Guys, please start watching each other's matches. 
Finn gets back in control with a DDT, a sling blade, and the Pele kick, another move we've seen a few times. Guys, please start watching each other's matches before Seth comes back into control with the corner power bomb. Um, again, I wish he'd take that one away. A kick to the head and then a big knee and a really cool move, which Corey Graves tells us on commentary. Seth Rollins used to use a lot. I've never seen it. Hooks him up for like a fisherman suplex, but lands him side on and into a small package for a two count. Looked really cool. And hits a Pele kick to Rollins again, who's up on the ropes and then a drop kick on the outside. And a really cool quarter de gras type move, but two Rollins stood up and crouched over under the back of his head. Looked awesome. Seth, however, fires back and hits a pedigree for a two count, and the crowd are finally starting to come back to life here, which is good. Uh, can't say I blame them for needing a rest. It's a four-hour show plus a two-hour pre-show, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm assuming a lot of these fans probably went to take over as well. Seth uh, hits him with a superplex and rolls through for a pedigree, but it's blocked. And then Finn does hit the coup de gras for the three count in a pretty good match. Um, I took the note of the injury before I knew what had happened, saying he looked like he might have been hurt on that barricade one. Uh, turns out that was what it was. But Finn worked through it really well. Um, you couldn't necessarily tell that he was injured for how he went with the match. If someone had told you it was just selling, you would definitely believe it. Um, and these guys did a really awesome job to get the crowd back on side a little bit here, so hats off to them. We then go up to the pre-show panel, and Renee Young looks like a girl at... About 4 a.m. on New Year's Day, she looks shattered, so give the guys a break. And they give us a recap of a KFC match um, where Dolph Ziggler, dressed as Colonel Sanders, took on The Miz, dressed as, I'm assuming, a chicken from another American fast food restaurant, but if it's just a generic chicken, please feel free to let me know if anyone cares enough to do so. And then we go into Rusev uh, defending his United States title up against Roman Reigns. Lana does a usual pre-match spiel to introduce Rusev. Um, and the match can't get underway because Rusev comes to the outside to brawl with Roman and they go nuts on the outside. Roman does hit a Superman punch pretty easy though and we've not even had the bell yet and the refs are trying to break them up. Reigns grabs a chair um, and begins to beat Rusev with it. He's just beating the crap out of Rusev on the outside here, really making him his bitch. Um, and he's still getting booed even with all the outside weapons and shortcuts here. The crowd actually break into a We Want Slater chant, which cracked me up massively. Um, and then Rusev, you know, is sort of being helped up by the doctors after they get rid of Roman. And he goes to walk to the back gingerly, but Reigns is having none of it, comes out and spears him and keeps walking over intimidatingly towards Lana. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think this is going to work personally. They've not delivered on an advertised match, but most people don't care because they don't want to see Roman Reigns. And they're trying to do what they did, you know, coming into the Rumble WrestleMania with him and let him go nuts beating people up with weapons and whatnot. Against Triple H, it had a chance of working briefly, but when everyone realizes they're being sort of duped into giving him the top spot again, they're going to turn on him pretty quickly. You've either got to slow right down on him and, you know, put him in there with guys that can go and not have him be dominating or turn him heel. I don't think there's any other way, barring a Shield reunion, you're going to get Roman Reigns over anytime soon. And then we get to talking about our main event and Michael Cole utters a phrase, it's Suplex City up against Viperville. Please just fuck off, Michael Cole. It's really annoying. It's not cool in the slightest. And we do a cool, almost UFC-type hype video for this one where they're showing interviews of them. Brock Lesnar's getting his swear on, which is really cool. Gives it that realistic, harder edge. And I'm getting pretty excited for this, despite the fact that I've watched mm, six hours of wrestling at this point over the weekend. 
Brock comes out to a decent pop. The crowd are really back awake again. And as he's walking down the aisle, some joker holds a God Juice sign right next to him for a good few seconds. Got a smile out of me anyway. Then Horton comes out next to a pretty good pop, actually. Um, it was good. And then it's the horrible saying is catching as the other commentators start talking about Suplex City versus Viperville. Good God, why do they have to be so annoying? Anyway, when the match does get underway, Lesnar's beating the fuck out of Orton in the corner, who's trying to come over the top with forearms, but Lesnar's having none of it. Uh, Orton hits his really cool drop kick before his RKO attempt is blocked, and we get German suplex number one, and a suplex city champ breaks out. Number one's quickly followed by number two, number three, and number four, and I realise there's nothing more American than JBL on commentary saying, Orton's going to take him to Viperville. Four German suplexes at this point. Unfortunately for Orton, it won't stay there as we get German suplex number five and the crowd break into an RKO chant. Unfortunately, Brock responds with a top rope hurricane runner. No, he doesn't. He responds with German suplex number six. Uh, repetitive, but I love it. It's awesome. Brock takes him to the outside and slams Orton on the table. He looks a little bit pissed that it doesn't break. Um, Orton sort of bounces off and ends up over the barricade. And then Lesnar just grabs a hold of him and hip tosses him through the table. Absolutely fucking annihilated him. It looked great. Back in the ring, we get German suplex number seven. And Orton rolls back to the outside before Lesnar goes to put him through the next table. Unfortunately for him, RKO on the table out of nowhere. And then we come back into the ring and Orton hits his sort of DDT off the off the ropes with Lesnar's legs hooked on the ropes um, and hits an RKO on the inside for a two count. Brock, however, is having none of it, gets back up, hits an F5 for a two count and then just begins to beat the living shit out of Randy Orton who opens up a huge cut um, Apologies for that. That's my battery running low, so I better plug myself in. Give me one moment. All right, power bill paid, and we're back. Uh, as I was saying, Brock's beating the ever-loving shit out of him. The doctor comes in. Um, Brock chases the doctor off and goes back to beating him up. We get a big Goldberg chant. I think that's wishful thinking there, Brooklyn, uh, before the referee calls for the bell, and it's announced as a TKO win. Um, Shane McMahon comes out to try and keep Brock away and get Randy Orton some help, um, but Brock's blocking his path to Orton. This is looking pretty interesting. And then what the fuck? He hits an F5 on Shane McMahon. Um, Brock's fucking scary. He is just not to be messed with whatsoever. So that, that was interesting. It was almost it, sort of akin to the Brock uh, Cena SummerSlam match where something completely unexpected happened and it was cool. This one probably not quite as cool because people weren't quite ravenous for Orton to get the shit beat out of him, but I enjoyed it. Um, my only worry with Brock is he's coming in, he's destroying everybody, the big names. It has to lead to him losing to someone or him coming back full-time. Um, he can't just come in a couple of times a year and beat the top star and walk back out. I know you're saying he can do because he is doing it, but it shouldn't really be that way. For those of you that have been living under a rock as well, um, I have heard that there was a bit of an altercation backstage after this. I'm not sure the exact origin of it, but basically Jericho said something along the lines of this is bullshit. Um, not sure if he was saying the ending or the fact that Brock didn't care about Orton being hurt or something along those lines, and they got into a little bit of an altercation, which was split up pretty quickly. Um, and from what I've heard, Triple H basically said that Jericho was just being a man um, after he took down Goldberg and now standing up to Lesnar. The, um, the Jericho dad bod um, is not to be messed with, so fair play to Jericho. Anyway, without digressing too far off into the aftermath, uh, we've got a winner to pick, so without any further ado, let's pick Brooklyn's champion.
one off the bat early. Production quality is a tie. They're both produced by the same people. NXT's got a darker, grittier feel to it, but that's by design, not because of any low rent or budget issues. So tie there, no clear winner. Crowd heat was a tough one because they got massively into some of, some of the stuff on SummerSlam, but the crowd were hot for everything on NXT, so I've given NXT the nod there. Um, really hot crowd, and it makes for such better wrestling to watch. Uh, next up, we go to characters, and I'm going to give this to NXT as well, simply because they don't force the issue with their characters. Um, there's no lame hashtags or buzzwords or repeated slogans by the guys down in NXT, or not as noticeable. Everyone on SummerSlam just had to be forced into having their their buzzwords. So, you know, whether it was Cole having to name every move from Enzo and Cass and try and use some sort of pop culture or throwback hip-hop style vernacular and ruining it to the constant Viperville. What the hell? Like, let it go. Um, the characters in NXT, just far more organic. Austin Aries, um, really getting over well. Nakamura's over huge. Joe's an awesome heel. Bailey and Asuka, um, it's hard to pick who you want to root for there, but they're both awesome. And of course, we've got Mr. Glorious himself. Just that's how you make an entrance. So NXT gets a nod. Also, they didn't have John Stewart on the show. So there you go. For the same reason, I'm going to give storyline nod to NXT here. Um, all, all killer, no filler. Um, some of the stories on SummerSlam were a mess. The six-woman tag um, just had no reason to be there. Roman Reigns and Rusev is just garbage and shouldn't have been on the pay-per-view. In fact, I will say SummerSlam overall could have cut two or three matches. If they're adding seven pay-per-views, you don't need SummerSlam to get an extra hour plus two hours pre-show. Just don't have a United States title match and have it high up on the card on the Raw pay-per-view, especially if you're not going to deliver it. Um, the women's six-man tag just put that on the pre-show or hold it off until the next pay-per-view, you could quite easily trim an hour off this event and make it a much better show, in my opinion. Now, with NXT notching a up a couple of wins there, it's all down to match quality. Um, and for this one, this might be controversial, you might disagree, but I'm actually going to call it a tie. Um, NXT, as I said, had no filler. Two hours of solid, awesome wrestling. Um, SummerSlam couldn't boast that. Four hours, and it did have a lot of filler. But that Cena AJ Styles match was phenomenal. Um, that might be my match of the year. It was just really amazing. It was great. Awesome ending. Um, awesome moves. Awesome story. Everything about it was perfect. Um, crowd were massively into it. Um, the Universal title match was pretty good as well, as was the women's title and the opener. Um, women's title match, as I said, is probably the best women's match I've ever seen. So you can't really knock a show that had... One of the best matches, if not the best match of the year, followed by probably the best ever women's match. Um, so I've got to call it a tie. Um, unfortunately for SummerSlam, that means NXT comes out with the clear victory. Um, not the way I would have gone at WrestleMania had I been doing the show back then. So it's good for NXT to get back on the map with a win here. And really just a lesson to WWE. Less filler, uh, better structure your shows, better match placement as well. And you'll be on to a winner. Anywho, with all that being said, um, I will bid you farewell for today's bonus episode. Look for episode 10 coming up soon, WrestleMania 10 up against Spring Stampede. Please continue to share us with your friends, try and get the word out there. We had a really good increase in following recently, um, especially with the flick over from iTunes, putting us in the wrestling category there. Um, and if you could be so kind as to leave us a review on iTunes, again, that would be muchly appreciated. We'd love it. And feel free to get in touch on Twitter and have a chat. Let us know any feedback, any suggestions, um, or any contributions you've got for an upcoming show. 
Anyway, thank you all for listening, and I will see you all hopefully at the weekend for episode 10.